0: Draw from the well That won't run dry To all who are thirsty He's the source of life And come all you weep are the lost and bound And dream life is found He's been We're going to celebrate and be thankful for the goodness of God this morning. Cling to the Father, Oh in his sweet embrace, your burden to give me, oh, rest in his grace. So sing, you forgive give oh, he's made a way the God. The grave, see, he's been good. Oh, he's been good, so good to me, even in my sorrows and my suffering. Oh, he draws me close, he draws me close. He's been good. Oh, he's been good. So good to me.
1: Even
2: Amen. He's good. Amen. Uh, This morning, church, we're going to get to uh, celebrate God's goodness. Uh, We're going to get to share our thankfulness for his goodness. But before we get to that, it's here. Advent is among us. And so we're going to kick off uh, our Advent services next week. And with that, we actually have a really cool uh, service. If you've got families, little kids, this is perfect. So, um, next week, next Sunday night at 6 p.m., in this room right here, we're going to meet for the Family Advent Service. So that's, it starts at 6 p.m., and that's a multi-church service, so we're inviting different congregations in with us. It's going to be led by uh, some of our staff, some of our worship staff, and then some worship staff from other churches. It's really incredible. My family and I got to come last year, so I highly encourage you come check that out. That's next Sunday night at 6 p.m., Um, raise your hand if you've been here for a while and you've, you've been a part of a Thanksgiving share service here at fellowship. All right. Well, if you've, you've been here, you know, it's a special time for us. And so, uh, we're going to do that today. And, and if you don't know what the Thanksgiving share, um, service is uh, here in just a little bit, we're going to sing another song and then Clark's going to come and he's going to lead us in a time. And it's just a chance for us to share, um, what God has been doing in our lives, Share thankfulness through that. First Chronicles sixteen thirty four says, "This give thanks to the Lord for He is good; His love endures forever." So we're going to do just that. We're going to give thanks. And so, um, if you feel like God's laying something on your heart to share, um, please do that. It's encouraging for our church body, and so you'll have that opportunity uh, here in just a bit. But let's sing. Let's continue in worship this morning.
0: Christ is my firm foundation, He's the rock on which I stand, when everything around me is shaken, oh, i He won't fail and he won't
3: Good morning, my name's Aaron Marshall, and this morning I've got the uh, privilege of baptizing my friend, Mark Pearson. Uh, Mark and his wife, Vita and their family moved to Fayetteville recently, and they've been coming here for a few weeks, and uh, Mark came to the booth last Sunday and asked if he could talk to somebody about getting baptized, and we had lunch Monday, and got to hear his whole story, and so the uh, first 40 years of Mark's life have been up and down and full, uh, but two years ago in your kitchen at 4 a.m., after reading the word and spending some time in prayer, uh, you met Jesus for real and went all in, right? And so that was the morning that you accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you and decided to follow him all the days of the rest of your life. And like many uh, of you, maybe here this morning, Mark had a baptism experience as a young child Uh, and he said you know I I wasn't in a position to be genuine with that at that age but I want to proclaim today to everyone I know that I've accepted Jesus and he's my savior and my king and I want to follow him all the days of my life and so Mark is it your story and your testimony that you've accepted Jesus and you want to follow him and let him guide you all the days of your life Based on that testimony, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life.
4: Well, thank you, Aaron. Y'all can be seated. Hey, what a privilege to be here with you on this Thanksgiving week. Uh, My name is Clark, if I haven't met you serve as one of the pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And as Ryan said, we're going to take a few minutes. Um, we're also going to finish Ephesians this morning, by the way. Um, and uh, so we got a lot to do this morning, Michael. It's going to be a good good time together with our church family. And um, just so you know, here at the 9 o'clock service, during this share time, if you choose to share, and we hope you do, it will be on live stream. And so it will go outside these walls and be a blessing to those as well, but we just we wanted you to know that if you share, um, others would be watching in, and, and some of you are freaked out now. You were going to share, and there's no way you're doing that. Um, hey, I want to give us just a little bit of direction um, for these next 15 minutes or so. Um, if you can see on the screen there, um, these are some verses from Ephesians in our study together, and uh, they're verses that remind us of why we need to be grateful and how God replaces old patterns with good words that come out of our mouths of gratefulness. Um, in chapter one, Paul was grateful, he was thankful. It responded, his response to that thankfulness was prayers for those in Ephesus. His specific things that he was thankful for was their faith in the Lord and their love for people. And so that guided his thanksgiving. In Ephesians 5, he tells us to put off these things that marked us as the old man, the old woman. Put on these new things, and it's marked by thanksgiving. Good words about what God has done. And then in 520, in the spirit of what it means to be filled with the spirit, one of the ways that we proclaim the fullness of the spirit in our lives is to be thankful and give thanks in everything to God the Father. And so, rarely do we get this opportunity to do this as a church family, as a corporate body. And we hope that you take the time to do this in the spirit of Thanksgiving this week around the dinner table as well. And so, this is the question, who would be first? Who would love to share about something God has done in your life, or you'd like to give thanks specifically for a person, maybe they're in this room, and how God has used them, or maybe give thanks for how his word has been gracious to you and transformed you this year. So just to give us a little direction there. Who would be first? We've actually got got our runners here, and they are up with mics, and we've got a hand right here in the back, and so just tell us your name. And, um, and then be considerate of others you might want to share, and so be pointed, but brief and honor the Lord.
1: Okay, my name is Kathy Rogers. We're new here to Fayetteville. Our kids moved to Prairie Grove about over a year ago. We're from California, and then went to Montana. And a week ago, in 2018, our city burned. In 2018, in the campfire, I don't know if You guys might have heard of that. That morning, I was getting ready to go to to work, and I was reading my Bible. And the Lord put it on my heart to get on my knees. And how many times do we really get on our knees? And that morning, as I was praying and thanking the Lord for my home and for our president, Um, Trump at the time. He was going through a hard time. But um, he told me to go outside and look. And as I did, I went outside and our sky was orange. And so I had my phone with me and I took a picture of it. And I went back in and started getting ready for work. And the Lord spoke to me again and he said, go back outside And at that time, there was smoke all over um, the sky. And so I called my husband, who was at work. He's a surgical nurse. And he worked in the city of Chico. And I said, honey, the Lord just spoke to me and said, there's a fire up here. And he said, okay, I'm going to try and get up there and get our camper trailer out, but uh, God closed the doors on that, and he closed the roads. But just through this, and losing our home in the fire right before Thanksgiving, um, was just an impact on my life to share the gospel with whomever I can. And so the Lord used us in in RV parks, and um, we just journeyed around. And the Lord spoke to me to make kitchen towels. And so as I did, I would meet women in the RV parks and share a kitchen towel and share the gospel. But one thing I just want to share with you real quick, because I know time is limited, is don't ever limit the Lord. He is always faithful, and he will never fail us, just as we sang. He won't and as we, uh, it took us three weeks to even know that our house was gone, and it was a terrible ordeal getting out of that city. It took me two and a half hours to go 12 miles, and I was in a firestorm, but through all that storm, um, the Lord really touched me when we went to Reading and stayed all night. And we purchased a camper trailer that the Lord had gave us a great amount on. And we were putting groceries in that trailer. We were parked at the south end of Walmart. And this couple came up in this SUV. They didn't know us. And they said, the Lord sent us to you to write you a check. And after they left, the Lord told me, he said, I won't fail you and I will provide for you the rest of your days. And so if this can just encourage someone that there's always something to be thankful for. God is always good, even through the circumstances of our life. He is always good and faithful, and he'll get you through.
4: Hey, thanks for sharing. We're glad you made your way to Northwest Arkansas. right
5: here. I thought maybe I was going to get out of that, that she wouldn't see me, but I felt like I was supposed to put my hand up, so I did. (laughs) Um, So this year has been a year for our family. Um, Many of you may remember My husband, who's actually not in here right now, so he doesn't have to be mortified that I'm sharing about him, (laughs) Um, he went through a cancer journey in 2017 and 18, and he had a type of cancer that once you've done treatment, you're supposed to be done forever. It's just like one of those um, predictable things, the treatment works, and you're just done. But he's one of the outliers, and he relapsed last summer. Um, And we weren't expecting that, obviously. Um, And he went through treatment again. And in January of this year, he had a stem cell transplant, which meant that our family relocated to Omaha, Nebraska. And um, he was in the hospital for quite a time. And um, I just wanted to say thank you for all the support. Through that. He's fine. I'm going to spoil that. He's fine now. Um, But I always tell people I would never wish cancer or any kind of tragedy like that on you, but I wish you could feel how much love you receive during a season like that. It's something that I'm working hard now to hold on to and not forget just how much the Lord showed us that He loved us and He had every one of our needs taken care of before we could even anticipate it. And just the gift cards that were sent, um, the children's ministry sent um, games and toys to my kids because we are crammed up in a hotel for six weeks. Um, And everybody just loved on us so, so much. And I'm so thankful for that. And my husband's not in here (laughs) because he's helping out with worship over at Fayette Kids. So I can't help but say how thankful I am for The miraculous healing that happened in him, watching him go is, I mean, stem cell transplant takes you really close um, to, I say really close to death without killing you, and then just miraculously, you get your own stem cells back to heal your body, and he's doing great, and we're just so thankful for that. Um, And side note, I also wanted to share, my oldest daughter, Lizzie, is... um, the girl who was featured in the Operation Christmas Child video that many of you saw in here. And so, you know, with three of my daughters receiving those boxes when they were kids, I'm overwhelmed to see the boxes that everyone has brought back and just how we're helping so many children around the world. That's near and dear to my heart, obviously, and I love seeing that it's near and dear to everybody, too. So thank you.
4: Thank you, Natalie. Man, we love Matt. He really carries the spirit of fellowship and how we do ministry around here. Hey, and by the way, thanks for the segue. The boxes are due today. So some of you are gonna scramble and leave early and go to the store and then try to get back by noon, right? Yeah, they're due back today. Yeah, we've got one right here.
6: Yeah. Hi, I'm Suzanne Rhodes, and um, as many of you know, uh, my dear husband, Wayne, I wasn't gonna do this. He died on June 27th. And um, the other day, I turned in my Bible to Isaiah 54. I wrote it down. I can't remember the verses now. But all along, I have felt the Lord telling me, for thy maker is thy husband. And just a couple of days ago, I opened my Bible just randomly, and there was that verse. So he was speaking that to me personally. Um, I also want to just say how much... This church has meant to me, my small group, um, so many of you, the pastoral staff, have just poured out a tremendous amount of love, support, um, and the Lord provided the finances to pay for for his funeral. Um, Other money was given, because I'm a sole provider now, and money was given Um, for me to be able to kind of get over the hump and be able to sustain myself. And um, at every turn when I fall into a dark place, there will be a word from the Lord uh, because I asked, um, you know, how can I go on living without him? He he healed my heart, uh, my husband did, and it was Christ in him that healed me from uh, some trauma. And then um, I said, how am I gonna continue living? And he said, "Um, for the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I know that he's with me. I loved the song, Ryan, that you shared. I heard that last week at Max Licata's church. It was the first time I'd heard it. And yes, uh, he will not fail. but it, it's hard, and I'm living alone now, but I have um, a wonderful uh, community group, as I said, and many precious friends. So thank you, and I praise God for all that he does every day for me and all of us.
0: Thank you, Susan. <clears throat> Hello. Is it on?
6: My name is Liz Sledge, and... My brother also went through the fire in paradise, lost his house, and they've just relocated to Tennessee this year, so we're so happy they're out of California. Um, My husband also passed um, April 28th this year, very suddenly, and um, in the days following, I just kept saying, thank you, God, thank you, God, because I knew he was for me. And my cell group also has been such a support. And, and as the song says, I have peace that makes no sense, and I have joy in the Lord. Thank you.
7: For one more. Um, I'm already crying, not a good sign. Uh, my name is Samantha Barnes, and my husband and I very recently, unexpectedly adopted, um, and we have been so overwhelmed by the people who have just shown up with diapers and formula and food and glows And um, two years ago at this service, we had a video that was shown, because it was COVID, um, of the story of our community group supporting us through infertility and adoption initially. And um, our sweet daughter is our son's biological sister and God's hand has just been over this whole situation beyond anything we could have expected or anticipated. And so I'm really grateful for just the Lord's care and protection over our family, even though our journey to become a family may not have been what we thought it would be initially. But I'm also thankful for the way that God has used people to come alongside of us and to really show up for us, in very tangible ways. And so it's been a really sweet reminder over the past couple of weeks of the importance of community and specifically how special Christian community is um, as you think about just the ways that God uses relationships um, and uses people as his hands and his feet. So we're really thankful for the prayers and encouragement um, of others as we've transitioned very quickly into becoming a family of four. Um, And then we're also just grateful for the tangible ways people have shown up. Um, So thanks to those of you that have been a part of that.
4: Thank you, Sam. Hey, and thank you, Sam. And I know you work as part of a greater team with the Cruz Ministry on the campus. And they're on the front lines of bringing the good news of Jesus to our some 30,000 students that call um, Fayetteville home. And so appreciate y'all's work there as well. I want to pray for us give thanks to the Lord if God had prompted your heart this morning to share something don't let today pass um, with a phone call a text or a personal reach out to someone and share what um, what you're grateful for today Would you pray with me father thank you for the work of your son Jesus on our behalf to make us right with you he is enough and in him uh, we give thanks for the goodness of Um, His work on the cross, his resurrection that we get credit for, the life it brings us abundant and eternal, and in that good news, uh, we are motivated to walk in holiness, to walk in thanksgiving, and to walk in gratefulness this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I
8: always look forward, that was my fault. Not the booth's fault. I always look forward to the Thanksgiving share service. I always look forward to this time of year. It's so good to hear in the body how God's been at work and and where he's moved in people's lives. Of course, you know I loved hearing over and over there, community, community, that's where God's at work, in community, through community. And of course, I love Thanksgiving because it's a holiday dedicated to eating. And so, of course... (laughs) That's right up my alley. Well, my name's Michael. I serve on the community team here at Fellowship Fayetteville, and it's my privilege today to get to finish up our study of the book of Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians for 12 weeks, and now today, this is our last week of the study. You know, as I was preparing for today, as I was looking at the words of the Apostle Paul, kind of a story from our family came to my mind. Um, it's, It's often told on Lee, my wife's side of the family. Her father, Bob Shannon, was what I would call a lay minister. He would travel around to to small churches when they needed a pulpit fill. When they needed someone to come in and preach, he would do that. When they needed someone to come in and lead worship, he would do that. And one of the things that he did was he went to these small churches and they had what they called a singing. We don't really do this anymore. It actually sounded weird to say that final G. It's a singing. We don't really do this anymore, but what they would do is the whole church would come back in the afternoon or the evening after the service that morning, and they would just call out a hymn number. And Lee's mom, Liz, she would play the piano and her dad, Bob, would lead as the church would sing these favorite hymns, maybe that they didn't get to sing as often or that they loved. Well, the story is that Lee, maybe 10 years old at this time, she'd have enough of the singing. She would think it had gone on long enough. And so when it was time to call out a hymn, she would say, and now for our final number. (laughs) I couldn't help but think of that when I saw Paul's opening words. Finally, 6.10, finally, Paul says. And I kind of pictured this as, as someone was reading, maybe Tychicus, we're gonna meet him at the end of the passage, was reading this passage to these little house churches in and around Ephesus for the first time. That when he got to this, and he said in Koine Greek, finally, that the little kids in the room went, yes, yes, this is almost over. And it is almost over. This is Paul's final charge the church at Ephesus and to all the churches that have come afterwards down through history. So before we jump into it, let's remember what we've seen in the book of Ephesians. We spent the first three chapters looking at what we call the calling of the church. This is where Paul described for us the identity and nature of the church. This is where he talked extensively about unity, about a new humanity united under Christ where those old divisions like race and social class. Those things fall away as we're unified under Christ, and he reminded us it's all by grace. And then we moved into chapter four all the way through uh, chapter six, verse nine, where we saw the specific and practical steps on how to live it out. We called it the conduct of the church. And in those passages, we saw the, the how. How do we live in light of this calling that we learned about in the first three chapters, and we saw that we're called to to walk in purity, to walk in love, and to walk in wisdom. We spent the last couple of weeks looking at Paul's household code. How do we treat each other in love and mutual submission within our own homes? And now with all of that behind us, we're ready to receive this final charge. Paul's going to deliver this charge because if we as followers of Jesus, take the rest of it seriously. If we're serious about being part of this new thing God's doing called the church, if we're serious about living lives worthy of our calling and integrating the gospel into our daily lives, Paul says we're about to find ourselves in a cosmic battle. Look at it with me. Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord in in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This is the climax of the whole letter. Paul says the devil himself wants to do everything he can to derail the church, to overturn God's plans. And now Paul says, you, Ephesian church, you gotta take your stand Now, before we press into the rest of this charge to the church, I want to remind us something. This letter was written to the church. Let's remember that. It's written to the whole body of believers. See, my conviction is that we have a tendency to read these letters and really the whole Bible in a very individualistic way. But in Ephesians, here in chapter six, all of these verbs in the Greek are plural. And so don't picture a knight putting on armor, one piece at a time, to go out for a one-on-one joust. No, the picture here is plural. It's it's a platoon of soldiers. It's a whole company of soldiers who are putting on their armor, who are getting ready to go out together together into the fight. That's the image that Paul has for us here. So why do we, as followers of Jesus, need to put on armor? Why do we need to brace ourselves for battle? Well, he tells us in verse 12. He says, for or because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces In the heavenly realms, we're in a battle, but it's not against our fellow man. It's not against unbelievers. In fact, it's a battle we can't even see because it's against dark spiritual forces that exist in another realm. That's what Paul means when he says the heavenly realms. He doesn't mean this battle's taking place in heaven where God and Jesus are. No, he means it's taking place in a different part of the created order that we as people usually can't see. Now, there are times in the Bible where God kind of pulls back the curtain, so to speak, where God allows to see what's really happening in this other realm. Here's a little sneak preview. In February, we're gonna study Daniel, and we're gonna see all kinds of angelic battles. We're gonna see these visions that reveal how God sees the course of human history, and it's all in the heavenly realm. Now this, of course, is a famous verse. I'm sure a lot of you recognize this verse when it went up on the screen. And like a lot of things in our Christian lives, there's a ditch on either side that we wanna stay out of. We wanna stay in the the healthy space in the middle. So a couple of weeks ago, I was working on the passage in the office. And I said to Clark, I'm trying to think of a good way to articulate staying out of these two ditches. And Clark said, why? Why are you trying to think of a way to say it when C.S. Lewis has already said it perfectly? So here's what C.S. Lewis said. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, that's the human race, can fall about devils or these dark forces. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So we don't want to deny that Satan and his army are real. But we also don't want to become fascinated, overly interested in them, or worse, afraid of them. So here's what we can say. Based just on this one verse in Ephesians, here's what we can say. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That word in the Greek that's translated struggle, it means wrestling. It's like hand to hand. So it's not against people. The struggle is supernatural. It's not people that wanna take us down. There's something darker and more powerful at work behind them. The struggle is personal. The devil and his workers know If you're a follower of Jesus, they know that you belong to him, and so you've got a target on you. The only way Satan can steal, kill, and destroy is to take us down, to keep us from accomplishing the good works the Lord has planned for us. And so here's the conclusion. The struggle can't be won in our flesh. Oh, if we try to take on these dark spiritual forces in our own power, in our own strength, in our own wisdom, we do not stand a chance. And so Paul's gonna spend virtually the rest of the letter telling us how exactly we can be prepared for the struggle and how we can, I want you to see it, stand. He says it four times. We're to stand in this battle The outcome of the battle is not in doubt. Jesus has already won the battle through his death and resurrection, and so our goal is simply to stand against these forces. So how are we gonna do that? Well, he repeats it again, by putting on the full armor of God. Therefore, or for this reason, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. We put on the full armor of God together as a church so that when the devil comes after us, and he will, we don't fold, we don't give up, we don't give in, we stand. And here's something really interesting about this armor of God. Paul didn't create this idea of the armor of God out of thin air. It it didn't come from his own sanctified imagination. Remember, Paul was a devout Jew. He was actually trained to be a Pharisee, which means he probably memorized most, if not all, of the Old Testament, and he undoubtedly was familiar with Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, God looks down on the sin that's just rampant in Israel. You can jot this down in your notes or in your margin. Isaiah 59, verses 15 through 17. Let's look at it together. It says, the Lord, all caps, that means Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He, he was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. This is Messiah language. God's own arm achieved salvation. Look at verse 17. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. The helmet of salvation was on his head. He put on a garment of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as his cloak. In Isaiah, it's God, it's, it's Yahweh, it's the Messiah king who puts on this armor. He's the one who goes out and does the fighting. But now in the New Testament, Paul tells us put on the Messiah. Paul tells us the armor is available to us to stand in this spiritual battle. The Holy Spirit is in us as believers in Jesus. So what do we put on? Well, we start with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. Now, the belt for a Roman soldier was a key piece of equipment. It held everything else in place, including the sword, which we're gonna look at in just a minute. So Paul says, you start by putting on that belt. A lot of you know I'm a NASCAR fan, and oftentimes before the race, the drivers will say, we're gonna pull those belts tight. What does that mean? We're gonna be ready for whatever comes on the track. That's what Paul's telling us to do. He says to the church, you pull that belt tight, but for us, that belt is the truth. When the church starts to loosen the truth, I don't have to tell you what happens. You've seen it over and over. The churches who get loose with the truth, they lose their spiritual power, they lose their vitality. So Fellowship Fayetteville, let's pull tight the truth. Let's hold on to the truth and let's love people enough to tell them the truth. Let's tell each other the truth and be willing to receive it so that we can stand against the devil's attacks. The next thing he talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. It's the exact same language from Isaiah 59, and it's the righteousness of Christ. When the devil attacks you with his lies, we all get hit with those arrows. You're not good enough. You're not spiritual enough. Remember what you did? God can't use you with the things in your past. He's aiming those right at our heart. And if those lies stick in our heart, man, he's really wounded us. And so Paul says, put on this breastplate of Christ's perfect righteousness. So when Satan fires that lie at you, who are you to share the gospel? Remember what you did in your life? We can say, you know what, I'm not perfect, I have made mistakes, but there's one who is perfect, and he stands in my place, and he gives his perfect righteousness to me. He makes me useful to God. It's not self-reliance, it's relying on him, and when we rely on Christ and his righteousness that he's given to us, that's that breastplate, and those arrows won't hit our heart, they'll bounce right off, and then for our feet, he says, the readiness of the gospel of peace. Gospel, of course, means good news. What is the good news of peace? Well, it's that through Jesus Christ, we can have peace with God, and that'll flow into peace with each other. And I think what Paul has pictured here is the spiked shoes that Roman infantrymen wore that helped them hold their ground. They planted them. He says, be planted in that gospel message. That message that you now have peace with God, that's what's gonna help you hold your ground no matter what the devil throws at us. And then he says, take up also the shield of faith. It's our faith that'll protect us as we stand firm. As a church, the devil's gonna throw temptation at us. He's gonna throw despair, lies, despondency, even hopelessness. And if we raise our shield of faith, can block all those. Most of us in here have probably seen movies of ancient battles, and there's usually a scene where the sky is just filled with arrows. What do those soldiers do? They take their shield and they protect themselves and each other. As those arrows rain down, they bounce harmlessly off their shields. That's how it is with our faith. When we have complete trust in God and his ways and his purposes, those arrows that are fired fired by the devil and his army will bounce right off without causing spiritual harm. Now one thing that we kind of miss in all of our English translations is, in the original Greek right here, there's a hard stop. After he says, the flaming arrows of the evil one, it's like a period, they don't have periods in Greek, but grammatically there's a stop here. It's like Paul wants to set these next two pieces apart and highlight their importance. The first one is the helmet of salvation. Remember, that's in Isaiah as well. But in Isaiah, the helmet of salvation is what God does. In Ephesians, it's what God gives. He gives us the helmet of salvation, that ultimate protection that guarantees we will not receive a mortal head wound in this spiritual battle. When my kids were growing up, we rode dirt bikes, and we had one ironclad rule. You do not throw your leg over that dirt bike without a helmet on, why? It's too important. If you hit your head, it could be bad. Think about a football game. What if a guy runs out on the field without his helmet on? What's the ref gonna say? Get out of here, you can't be out here with no helmet. If your helmet comes off, they make you go to the bench. Even if the guy says, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'll be fine, leave me in, the rest gonna say no. It's way too dangerous for you to be out here without a helmet. The same way in this spiritual battle. Paul's already told us, back in chapter two, verses eight and nine, that our salvation, the helmet of salvation, it's a free gift from God that comes through faith alone, by grace alone, and in Christ alone. And so here's how the helmet works in spiritual battle. You Ready? We've already won. When we get the helmet of salvation, we've already won. We can be in this day in and day out battle with full confidence that Christ has already won, no matter what the enemy throws our way. And then, as many have noted over the years, we get the one offensive weapon. Everything we've talked about so far is something we put on or we take up to protect ourselves. Finally, we get to the one thing that we can use to fight back, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With the sword of the Spirit, we cannot just stand our ground, but we can fight. It's interesting that he calls it the sword of the Spirit. That caused me to pause and think, what is the relationship between God's Word and the Holy Spirit? Well, to begin with, the Holy Spirit inspired the word of God, right? We believe that in the original, God used men that he inspired to write down the very words of God. But the Holy Spirit is not just the source of the scripture. He actually opens up the scripture to us. He explains it to us as we read. He, he uses the scripture to convict us and to equip us. That's what he's been doing through this whole Ephesian series. Every time you've read something in this Ephesian series and thought, man, that's the Holy Spirit. And so our part is to take hold of that sword. How do we do that? We got to read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it. So that when the time comes, we've got a firm grip on it. Remember when Jesus faced down Satan in the wilderness? Satan came at him with temptations and lies, and what did Jesus do? He responded with words from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, if that's how Jesus, who's fully God as well as fully man, battles Satan with God's word, how much more do we need that to be victorious? A good cross-reference to jot down in your Bible or in your study notes, Hebrews 4.12 God's word, it's a two-edged sword. The writer to the Hebrews says it can cut right to the core. And so as a church, we better be prepared to handle it properly. And so this armor of God, it's available to regular people. It's available to you and to me if we're followers of Jesus because we're engaged in a spiritual battle. And once we've got the armor on, there's one more thing Paul wants us to do He said, stand four times. Now he's gonna say, pray, pray, pray. And look at the scope of the prayers. He says, pray in the spirit. The Holy Spirit not only opens up God's word to us, but he informs our prayers. He inspires us to pray. And then he says, pray when? On all occasions. Pray how? With all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray for whom? for all the Lord's people. There's nothing outside the scope of these prayers. And then he gets personal. Look at verse 19. The great apostle Paul writes this. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I'll fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, fearlessly, As I should. Even Paul is not above needing the prayers of God's people. And as you consider this prayer request, remember this he's in jail. His prayer request is not pray that I'll get out of here, pray that these chains will fall off, pray that the courts will reverse themselves. No, he says pray that I'll be fearless in proclaiming the gospel. What a prayer! The guy's already in jail for proclaiming the gospel and he says, pray that I'll be bold to proclaim it even more. Imagine, what if we prayed that prayer for each other? What if we prayed for each other that in every sphere of influence out there we would fearlessly proclaim the mystery of the gospel? How might God use that to change Fayetteville and beyond? And then Paul's gonna close as he typically does with some personal remarks Beginning in verse 21, he says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, he'll tell you everything so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. He says, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may be encouraged you. And then he closes with this, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. I don't wanna miss the chance in these closing remarks to point out that everything that's happening in Paul's life is in the context of a team. Paul's not the lone ranger out there writing for the gospel alone. No, he's got a whole team of men and women around him, co-laborers like Tychicus, who probably wrote out this letter as Paul dictated and, and carried it to the churches at Ephesus, and maybe he was the one who, Read it aloud. So here's how we might summarize the charge that Paul gives. We might say that God empowers the church united to stand our ground in the spiritual battle. When we take all the things that we've learned from the book of Ephesians, when we remember the beauty of this gospel message of unity and reconciliation, when we focus on integrating that into our daily lives, God will empower us. Remember, it's plural. It's about us as a church to stand our ground no matter what the enemy throws at us. And so I want us to take a moment just to reflect on what we've learned in the book of Ephesians. Ryan, I wanna invite you to come back up. Ryan and I have been talking about this together as we kind of planned our service for this morning. And I want all of us to just think about We don't wanna just put Ephesians on the shelf and move on to whatever's next, but we wanna let the Lord continue to use this. And so Ryan, when you think about the book of Ephesians, what are you gonna remember? What's gonna stand out to you from this series?
2: Unity, that's been, I feel like that theme of unity has been very clear, especially the first three chapters, but really throughout the whole book. Um, Our fight is not against flesh and blood, even in this last little um, portion that that we taught today. And so that to me, I think, every time I see the book of Ephesians, I'll remember, I'll see that word unity.
8: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And and I think the unity allows us, I love Steve Graves' phrase, gospel integration, to just integrate the gospel into every part of our life. I can't think of another book in the Bible that so succinctly helps me understand how the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it doesn't just change my eternity, it changes my today. It changes how I do life, how I view the church, how I view things in my home, how I view my work. The gospel informs all of that. And I think when I think about unity and gospel integration, that's gonna tie together the book of Ephesians in my mind. One of the reasons I, Ryan I wanted to, to, to close with us together is you on the worship arts team, you've got a whole team of people. Y'all have done some really creative things to help us not just learn the book of Ephesians, but experience it. And I think over the course of, of three months here, maybe some of those things kind of get forgotten. Just kind of walk back with us, what are some of the things that we as a church have experienced together to help us kind of internalize this book?
2: That's good, and, and to that point, to internalize it. That's, that's the reason we, we try to express um, through, through artistic expression, um, so that, so we can feel it more in our hearts. And so I think... There, there's a handful of things we did for Ephesians. So if you all remember, several weeks ago, we brought in Potter's House. It's an organization um, that helps uh, connect communities across um, socioeconomic um, boundaries and lines. And, and all of the work that they do is, is rooted in Christ. So they're doing so much stuff. We brought them in. Uh, we brought the call in. Um, they're an organization that helps equip um, believers Jesus followers, um, to, to foster and adopt and helps educate, um, believers in that realm. Um, we, we had a video, we had several videos. So over three weeks, we reached out to different pastors in the area, different church leaders, and I just asked them for their prayer requests, this idea that we should be praying for other gospel preaching churches in our community. And so, so we prayed for six different churches, um, What else? We've been saying the uh, corporate confession and assurance of pardon every single week. Again, this idea to bring us, for us to lift our eyes and see that we are a church community, um, that together we can confess sin, that we can um, be reminded of our assurance of pardon in Jesus. We've heard the scriptures read in uh, eight different languages over the past few weeks. Nine, if you include English, I guess. But, um, so, so, and these these are individuals that are very much connected with our church, and they're Jesus followers. They're they're not just people that we found that, um, that could speak a different language, and we thought it would be neat for the scriptures to be read. But they're they're Jesus followers. So, so we can see that the mission is being sent out all throughout throughout all nations, and the gospel's being being preached throughout the world. Um, and lastly, we, we wrote some songs, um, so we wrote a, a couple of songs uh, for, this, for this season, and, and, and I think you know, these songs are so, we, we root them in scripture, um, not, not to make them just perfectly to fit um, a series, but we write them to themes of series so that our church can, can continue to sing those uh, in the weeks, months, years to come. And I
8: really appreciate all the effort that your team has put into that, and to help us as a church just experience this book. Before we sing one of those songs to kinda wrap up this whole Ephesians experience, I just wanna share with you what the commentator John Stott said about those closing two verses. He said there's no better two words to sum up the book of Ephesians than what Paul closes with. Peace, that we have peace with one another because we have peace with God, and grace. It's all about grace. He opened the book with grace in verse two, and in the very last verse, he again mentions grace, and he mentions it 10 times in between. Everything we've talked about through this whole series is only possible because of the grace of God shown to us through Jesus Christ. And so Ryan, let's close up by singing together one of the songs your team wrote that's filled with that grace. Let's sing the Reckoning.
2: Let's sing together and let's sing. We're just going to sing the last two choruses of this song. Um, I think that they they speak, we, we wrote this straight from um, the book of Ephesians, I think specifically in Ephesians chapter 2. And so, church, let's sing this together. Let's end our time in Ephesians like this.
0: Christ changes everything. Our hope is the reason. Uniting humanity, Christ is the reckoning. The walls of hostility are shattered. In This is the
2: So before we leave, we've done this every, um, every service over the past few months throughout this Ephesians series. Church, we're just going to say together this confession, this assurance of pardon. So let's say this together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. In church, it's good for us to be reminded that we are sinners. We've all fallen short of glory because of that sin. But for those of us that believe in Jesus, that we've committed our lives to following him, there's hope and there's good news. So church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So church, as we get ready to leave um, these walls this morning, let me read this over us as our benediction. May the grace of Christ, which renews us daily, and the love of God, which enables us to love all, The fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in one body, make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Church, we love you. The prayer room is available through the doors on your right. If you would like.